This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Follow the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web, which covers the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patrons because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online. We would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, September 4th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Happy Labor Day to all those listening on this Labor Day weekend. Thank you for spending yet another holiday weekend with us, or the holiday itself with us, if you're listening to us on Monday, or belated wishes, but happy Labor Day. One of the checkpoint weekends on not just the basketball calendar, But the Julian calendar, summer may officially end some 17 days from now. But for all intents and purposes, it's time to lock up those summer homes. Enjoy the last few beach days of the year. Get ready for school. Get ready for football. And of course, here in this space, the NBA, T-minus 19 days till Celtics Media Day and the start of training camp. And we know how we're doing it here, sizing up the rivals in the Eastern Conference to the Boston Celtics in this 2016-17 NBA campaign. Now right around the corner on this first weekend in September, apologies in advance to the Philadelphias, to the New Yorks, to the Milwaukees, to the Orlandos, but no patsies here. It is all about what matters. Last week, We delved into the defending Atlantic Division champions and last year's Eastern Conference finalists, the Toronto Raptors, along with a former mainstay at the top of the East, the Indiana Pacers, had coach Jack Armstrong and Quinn Buckner here. There was a lot of discourse and good discourse from listeners of this show on Facebook, on Twitter. Spoke with a few of you on that platform of 140 characters or less on my at CLNS underscore LHR account regarding whether A, the Pacers should have been included in this series, as many of you do not consider them a serious threat in the East, nor a serious threat to this Celtics team, and B, whether if there was a playoff series between the Pacers and Celts, the kind of impact Paul George could have. You heard Quinn Buckner here last week, Pacers color commentator and former world champion guard with the Celtics in 1984, call him the best two-way player in the game. I said he'd be the best player in a Celtics-Pacers playoff series and the most experienced player, and you know historically in the NBA, the team with the best player in a playoff series generally comes out victorious in said series. So if you missed last week's show, that's still in the archives by searching for Celtics Beat on iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to listen again and continue to talk with myself on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR or fellow Celtics fans on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. It is great to see such a great reception to this series, which again was pitched by one of our loyal listeners, Brendan E. Again, any ideas, reach out to me on social media, write a review for us on iTunes. We would be happy to accommodate, and we hope we did so this week as on this broadcast. 
We will analyze every angle of how the Boston Celtics match up with two more playoff foes in the Eastern Conference, and we will do so with Stephanie Reddy, color commentator for the Charlotte Hornets, and Dave McMenamin of ESPN, who covers the world champion Cleveland Cavaliers. Coming up on episode number 173 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being presented by Blue Apron and American Famous Network. We have got some serious girl power going on here at Celtics Beat. Obviously, Jackie McMullen's been on with us, had Nicole Auerbach around the draft. Kristen Ledlow, who's turning into a regular, was on with us two weeks ago. And now Stephanie Reddy, she's been on the CLNS Radio Celtics pregame show, color commentator for the Charlotte Hornets, the only female announcer in the NBA, was an assistant coach in the NBDL some years ago. One of the most astute basketball minds in NBA circles today, no question. And Steph, in my eyes, is going to need to really bring her A-game here in a few moments because I am going to need some serious convincing that the Charlotte Hornets deserve to be in our Eastern Conference Primer Series. But they are. As I said, committee of one here on Celtics Beat. However, I like to think surrounded by the right people, and those people being you, the audience, who communicate with us on Facebook, Twitter, or leaving a review on iTunes, And I was convinced, not entirely, like I said, I'll leave that up to Miss Reddy, but I was convinced by a few of you to include Charlotte, so I did. If the audience wants to hear someone or something on this show, they will. So here we go. Last year, Boston got the Hornets twice in the season series. Early on, won both games in Charlotte on back-to-backs. One of them aided by a non-travel call on Isaiah Thomas as Boston was in the process of sealing the game. But then at the end of the year, the second-to-last game of the year, I believe Charlotte really got the Celtics good, blowing them out in Boston thanks to a massive performance by Jeremy Lin in the second quarter. So both teams won on each other's home floor. But in 2015-16, Charlotte went 48-34, and same record as the Celtics. Remember that absolute mess in the middle of the conference last year with that crazy last day of the regular season and these bizarre tiebreakers that somehow had the Celtics as the fifth seed behind the Heat, whom they swept the season series with? Four teams with that identical 48-34 and 34 record, and the Hornets lost in the first round, like the Celtics, except to the Miami Heat in seven games after possessing a 3-2 series lead with a closeout game six on their court, which they blew, lost in seven. So last year on the court, Boston and Charlotte were pretty much in the same tier of the league. I'd say not the middle of the league, but how about the upper middle class? Something that may not exist anymore in America, but certainly does so in the NBA. Hello, Boston and Charlotte. But the Hornets played great after the All-Star break last year. Around the middle of the season, they lost Al Jefferson to an injury. He was on the shelf for an extended period of time. And at that time, he was considered their best or second best player behind Kemba Walker, point guard out of UConn, who's carved himself out a fine young early career, I would say. But they ended up playing great without Jefferson. As stated, Walker had a great year. Marvin Williams, someone who's been a career underachiever as the former number two overall pick in Chris Paul's draft, he had a very nice year last year. Nick Batum, whom they picked up from Portland last summer after he was starting to slide a bit, he was a great, great all-around player for them. He really cashed out this summer. Jeremy Lin off the bench. Al Jefferson, when he returned, he solidified their second unit before being put back in the lineup in the playoffs. They were a deep 
well-coached team last year. Where have you heard that one before, huh? Solid on both ends of the floor. Did so with contributions up and down the roster. Yes, again, a sound familiar. But the Hornets, are they deserving of us utilizing oxygen on them? Identical record to the Celtics, but major losses in free agency. So I am going to need to be sold on them, and we'll do so right now with Stephanie Reddy, Charlotte Hornets color commentator for Fox Sports Southeast. And our interview with Steph is brought to you by American Farmers Network. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFN's family ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. Steph, first off, welcome back to CLNS Radio in this Primer Series. I've been starting off with an off-season rundown for the sake of our audience, and in no team is this more relevant to than the Charlotte Hornets, considering all that has transpired for them this summer. So here we go real quick. Added guard Marco Bellinelli. Guard Ramon Sessions, two years, $12 bucks. Roy Hibbert, a little taking a flyer on him. One year, $5 million. A few other guys, Brian Roberts, Christian Wood. Free agency, they lost Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee, Al Jefferson, who signed with the Pacers, also uh, traded Troy Daniels in a deal with Memphis. They were able to re-sign Nick Batum to a five-year, $120 million contract. Also, Marvin Williams, four years, $55 million. So here we go. I'm giving you the floor. Steph, give me a blurb on the Charlotte Hornets offseason. Well, it's quite a lot. And, and when you just run it down all in a row like that, you realize how busy this offseason has been. Um, but, I mean, I'm thrilled. You know, this is my favorite part of the year because everyone comes into the preseason thinking they're going to do very well. You don't know who's going to make the playoffs. Every team hopes that they will. Um, I've always been a very optimistic individual. So this time of year, every year, I think the Hornets are going to have a really good team. Um, but this year, the difference is that – I, I do think they're going to be good, but I'm excited because I can see the growth in the team. Um, last year, we talked a lot about how the Hornets improved their depth. They improved their scoring capabilities just because the pieces they added to the puzzle. Well, the main pieces that improved both of those categories are back to return this season. So not only did they make those improvements, but now they're going to be better because they have played with one another for a full season. They actually like each other, and I know that really is not um, something that you can analyze per se in terms of, you know, strong numbers and stats, but I've been around basketball my entire life, and I've always preached that chemistry is one of the more underrated components of a successful team, and this Horns team definitely has it. Um, Nick Batum and Marvin Williams coming back speaks great of that they speak it speaks volumes of that because Nick Batum as you mentioned was highly sought after he made it very known towards the end of the season last year that he wanted to be back and he told me a number of times personally on the air off the air that he considered his teammates brother that he loves his teammates and those were his words um that you don't find often at at the NBA level where the locker room is that amenable um Having said all that, yes, they did suffer a few losses. Uh, Jeremy Lin's absence will be missed, but I, I will say this. Ramon Sessions, 
we've played with him before. He was on the Hornets roster uh, prior to being with the Wizards. Former Bobcat. And we loved him. Yes, exactly. He he was tremendous. He's a, an excellent point guard. He is a tremendous shooter. He's a great locker room guy. He's a team player, very unselfish. He is the perfect backup point guard in the NBA. So I'm thrilled to take a look at what this team is going to have to to offer, especially um, in the Eastern Conference. And when you when you add pieces like Roy Hibbert, who some people may say he's on the decline, but I'm going to remind all the NBA fans out there, a lot of people said that about Nick Batum last year too because he came off of not his greatest year as a Portland Trailblazer, came to the Hornets. People were questioning that decision, and he played amazing. And I think Roy Hibbert has a lot to prove to himself and to everyone in the league that he's still a quality player. He was an all-star in Indiana, did not play his best basketball last season, but I think he's going to be tremendous for the Hornets this year. I think sort of the big theme with, with Hibbert is a lot of people have been saying that the game has just sort of passed him by. But the internal replacements or any types of replacements on the team is go- are going to be very interesting. You mentioned Ramon Sessions. He got off to a great start in his career with Milwaukee. I believe he had a decent mm-hmm. season with the Lakers about three or four years ago. He's always been he's always been worthy of a roster spot and worthy of the role that he's been on his team. But the players that Charlotte did lose, particularly I would say highlighted really Jeremy Lin, very good season last year as a backup. Al Jefferson, he, both those guys have actually killed the Celtics in years past. Lin last year, particularly a game in the waning days of the regular season being the captain. Dallas had a 33 run, and Jefferson, yeah. when Boston was very thin in years past down low, particularly in 2014-15, he's had some big games against the Celtics. But you mentioned some players like Hibbert and Sessions. These are outside replacements who are going to come in, and we're going to see what they're going to do with Charlotte. Are there any examples possibly for an internal replacement for Lynn Jefferson? Of course, they did a great job on Charlotte's second unit last year when they ripped it off after the All-Star break. I mean, Cody Zeller seems like a candidate. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist has had injury issues now the last two years. What say you on this? Well, I was just about to bring up Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I mean, MKG is a tremendous athlete. Um, Again, an excellent team player, very unselfish, only puts the team first, you know, before himself. Um, He did suffer injuries the last two seasons, but in a way that kind of speaks fondly and, and it speaks well of what the team will do this year because, they had all the successes that they had last year without him in the lineup. So now you bring him back, and it's almost like you're getting another free agent. And he has improved his game. His very first year, everyone knew his jump shot was not his strong suit. He worked on that religiously. I mean, it put a lot of effort into that, and he still continues to do so. And we saw marked improvements on that shot. Um, he doesn't hesitate as much when he's on the outside. People were leaving him open because – they didn't respect his ability to make a shot consistently. He continued to prove people wrong. The few moments we did get to see him play last season, and I know he's worked extremely hard on it again this off season. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to bring to the table. I mean, he is a defensive stopper, if there ever was one in the NBA, especially on the perimeter. He can do that by himself. So I'm looking forward to seeing him with the addition of Roy Hibbert now that can man and control that interior paint area defensively. Those two, that's going to be a work of poetry. I think the biggest benefit with uh, Michael Kidd-Gilgris to the Hornets is that, like you said, he's like adding a free agent, only a free agent who's been in and around the system, of course. Now the biggest question is Mm -hmm. if he can stay healthy because he has not been healthy the last two years in the NBA. But since we're talking so much about the offseason and so much about these players that the Hornets have retained, added, and lost – it just sort of sort of really rang a bell for me, and maybe I'm sort of stepping over the boundaries a little bit here, but 
is there anything to drawing a very quick conclusion as I have just have over the last few minutes I've had you here, Steph, in that as successful as the Hornets were last year, 48 and 34, same record as the Celtics fell to the six seed because of uh, various tiebreakers and everything. But how much of can you actually attribute to the Hornets' success last year, being they had so many players, Batum, Marvin Williams, Al Jefferson, Courtney Lee, Jeremy Lin, these guys were all major contributors, but they were all free agents to be last year. They were all in contract years, and they were all playing for money this offseason. How much in your eyes, as someone who watched the team on a game-by-game basis like you did and as close as you did, how much could that be attributed to the fact that they had all these players in contract years? Well, I think that a lot of people, you know, we talk about that in the NBA because it's obvious sometimes when a player is in a contract year the way they're playing. I think that with the Hornets roster, those players, especially the ones that we retained, are not that type of player. Um, Someone like Nick Batum, he wants to win basketball so badly and he's so skilled. I think that he's the type of player that when he's happy and when he's around players, as he said, that he loves and he trusts them and, and he wants everyone to have success, that's just going to fuel his fire. I think he's going to have a better season this year than he did last year. That's my opinion. Um, someone like Marvin Williams, he got into the best shape of his career. Some people may say that was because he was in a contract year. I think it's because, and I, I've talked with Marvin quite a lot about this, I think it's because he has seen the way the league is changing. The three-point basket has changed the way that NBA teams play the game. And at that four position, being able to knock down that three ball consistently, it's going to make you a very good player. And it's going to make you a a player that's hard to guard, especially when you're unselfish. So I think Marvin Williams understood that, got into better shape so that he could take advantage of his, his shooting ability out on the perimeter against other four players. I think that, you know, Courtney Lee is going to be missed. I, I will say of, of the three agents that the Hornets did not bring back, I was most looking forward to seeing him play because we didn't get to see him play a full season under the system that the Hornets have. So I was looking forward to seeing how he would grow in the system. Um, so he will be missed. But I think that they are more than – I think they've got more than enough on their roster right now. The Hornets system, you rang a bell, and it's a perfect way for me to transition this as we move quite along nicely during this chat that we're having here. You want to go in-depth about Steve Clifford. You don't really hear much about it in the national media, largely because I think the market that the Hornets play in, but every NBA person you talk to marvels at what he does and marvels the way the Hornets play. So once again, let it loose. Yeah, he is amazing. I mean... Like I said, I've been around this game a long time. I've seen lots of coaches, all levels, um, all styles and, and techniques and philosophies. And of all the coaches that I have worked with um, at this level, he's my favorite by far. And it's because he is even keeled. You know, he doesn't get too high when things are going well. He doesn't get too low and down on him or his team when things are not going well. He's a realist. Um, and Players love to play for him because he is genuine. He's honest. Yes, he will critique you, but only to make you better, never to belittle you. Um, he doesn't hold grudges. And I know some people may think that sounds crazy, talking about an NBA head coach, but believe me, those guys, <laughs> they can get honorary and they can hold a grudge. If you have some minor infraction in November or December, they're going to keep bringing it up all the way through May. He's not that guy. You know, whatever happens, he gets over it. Everyone moves on. But he is very honest. 
You know, and, and players like that because, let's face it, they're at the highest level of competition in the world in basketball, and they're competitive. They've all got egos. They want to be the best they can possibly be. You're only going to get better if you have someone who will give you honest criticism, but not just the constructive criticism and, and to lay it out there, but he'll give you the criticism and then show you how to make the improvement. And that is why this team has continually gotten better every single season. Um, even when they didn't have the offensive power, their defense was always top 10 in the NBA. And that was with players who a lot of people would say maybe could be backups on other rosters, but were starting for the Hornets. Now they have a higher level of talent. So with the system that he's implemented, both defensively and offensively, the players love to play it because he puts them in a position to be successful. He is very demanding because he expects you to do it the right way every time, but you understand why and you see it working, and so you don't mind putting in the effort and the work. And you talked about that, the fact they actually have now a pretty decent offense after having a pretty consistent defense the last two years when they didn't have the talent over a year ago. What would you actually say, now that you have me thinking about that, what would you say is sort of the identity of the Hornets team if they actually has have one? Because if you look at it from an outsider vantage point, they've got a good defense. It's ranked not, it's ranked 10th in the NBA, actually, ninth in offense last year. So it's very good, but it isn't exceptional or top of the league or something that you sort of marvel at. So what would you say really is the identity of this Hornets team, just to sort of the outside point of view? Yeah, I'd say the first thing that's paramount is that they're unselfish. Um, the game of basketball was made to be played that way, and unfortunately the NBA especially had gotten away from that for so many years. Um, but you can see the success that the best teams have had when they play unselfishly. And unselfishly, it does not mean that you constantly are passing the ball and nobody gets up a good shot. Sometimes you taking the shot is being unselfish because that's the best shot that you're going to get in the offense at that particular time. What this team does is they have exceptional passers at more than one position, which I think is a huge part of their success because Kemba Walker has been extraordinary. Every single year he comes back very improved, and he's already a good player, but every year he comes back better. He's a, a, a tremendous passer, but then you have Nick Batum, who sometimes he knows his teammates are open before they do. He's such a good passer. Um, you've got some bigs that can pass the ball, so I think that's the first thing is that they're unselfish, but the second thing is that they have the ability to make the play. There are a lot of teams in the league that may be unselfish and they may want to pass the ball and move the basketball around. But if you don't have enough players that have the passing skills to do that successfully, then there's really no point in doing it. You're just going to turn the basketball over. You're going to get people bad shots. But they don't have that problem. I think that's the number two thing. And then number three is their three-point shooting. It's evolved. They have gotten much better across the board. Um, you can take a look at Kemba Walker's numbers from uh, two years ago to last year, and you see the marked improvement in his three-point percentage. Nick Batum did a tremendous job. They had several players who could knock down that three-ball consistently, and they have never had that in the past. And what about some weak points on the Hornets, particularly if a, a team like the Celtics could exploit? <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I like the way you kind of worked that in there. I, I don't know about giving up any trade secrets. Coach Clifford and Patrick Ewing, all of this coaching staff would kill me. Um, but, you know, you can just watch how they play basketball. And I think the new pieces, that's going to be a weak point just because the, the returning players are so time. entrenched. Exactly. They're so entrenched in the system. 
they have to still learn the system. So you hope they have a really good training camp because that's like the big part of that, you know, getting those new players acclimated. Um, but I think Roy Hibbert, he's got a lot to prove. Um, if he can come back and, and get to, you know, maybe he's not an all-star, but if he can get back to quality minutes where he is controlling that paint defensively and he is good enough offensively that you feel comfortable in throwing him the ball and not just having him rely on offensive rebounds, then you got something. Okay, best question of all, and I know you work for the team when you had Quinn Buckner here last week who da- wouldn't dare <laughs> do this, but this is the best way to get you out of here. I know you work for the Hornets, but put on an objective member of the media. Put that mask on today. It is Labor Day tomorrow. We can pretend it's Halloween. I will ask you your prediction on a hypothetical Hornets-Celtics <laughs> playoff series that begins tomorrow. Wow, I didn't know you were going there. Woof. My goodness. Well, I mean, of course I'm going to pick the Hornets to advance. If you're, if you're talking playoff series, I'm definitely going to pick Hornets to advance. I'll, you know what? I'll give, I'll give the Celtics. I'll say they'll, the Hornets would advance in six. Oh, I was going to, I was going to say I would, I'd give the Celtics a quarter. It sounded you were going to go there. Two, two games is, is good, though. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> Stephanie Reddy, Fox Sports Southeast. You can follow Steph on Twitter at her namesake, at Stephanie Reddy. Steph, thanks so much for joining us. Happy Labor Day. My pleasure. You too. Again, Stephanie Reddy, Hornets color commentator. Charlotte is going to be intriguing down there. They'll be solid. They'll be in the playoffs in the East. But like a few other teams, like, say, in Indiana, made a lot of moves. And unlike Indiana, it was not out of necessity. They didn't have a choice. They had so many free agents. They had so many players last year play very well for them in contract years. Two-fifths of their starting unit in the playoffs, Courtney Lee and Al Jefferson, while technically replaceable players, they're gone, and the Hornets will have that same issue. The Pacers will have the same issue the Celtics had last year of getting new pieces acclimated, of getting the right rotations down in the first quarter of the year, or however long as it takes. Pieces that are likely major question marks as well. I mean, Ramon Sessions, we know what he can do. He's done his thing in the league long enough. But Roy Hibbert, uh, uh, I I don't see that. Uh, there's a reason he signed for $5 bucks, which is pennies in the new NBA, by the way, just pennies. His physical traits and abilities have diminished. He's in worse physical condition. His, his game has declined. And the game doesn't really suit the strengths that he does have. It, it's funny. You heard Steph talk about the renaissance that Marvin Williams had last year. A player who was well on his way to being out of the league two, three years ago. I mean, I remember when he came out of UNC on that great Tar Heels team with Ray Fountain and Sean May. Him, I thought he was going to be the next James Worthy. I thought he would be a special player, and he's been in the league 10 years, and he has had a very underwhelming career. Remember his foul on uh, Rajon Rondo in the seventh game in that first-round Hawks-Celtics series? Yeah, you do. You do remember that. I had to bring that one up. That's pretty much all you remember about know of Marvin Williams in the 10-plus years he's been in the NBA, but he had a, a very good year last year, and Steph talked about how this new NBA just suits his skills. What was once a tweener player, too slow for a small forward and too short for the four, he's now that stretch four that everybody loves. So the game, which didn't suit Marvin Williams in, say, 2012, the year of the last presidential election, and did a Roy Hibbert, he who was once the best, quote-unquote, rim protector in the NBA, 
Now it doesn't suit Hibbert in 2016 and does Williams, even though they're virtually the same age. But going back on point here, I don't see this Hornets team as anything more than a six or seven seed. I'm sorry, Seth. I don't think I was really won over. You can make a case that they're essentially where the Celtics were last year with a team primarily made up of very good components. But they're also going to need to go through some trial and error phases, as you've brought up and as we've we've said and and discussed on the last two shows. I believe Charlotte is a clear notch below Boston. I, I cannot see them beating the Celtics in a playoff series. Like I said, you can draw similarities of where the Celtics were last year to where the Hornets are this year. Do the Hornets likely have things like a superior half-court offense to Boston? Do they have much better outside shooting? Yes and yes, although that's not saying much. But the Celtics unquestionably took a jump this summer to that next tear in the conference. Charlotte, they did not. I mean, they are at best trying to get back what they lost. They are at best trying to replicate the production that was lost by many key players like Lynn, like Lee, like Al Jefferson. They got so much production from players who were in contract years and not just the three who departed, but guys like Nick Batum, who was clearly out to prove himself last year, and Marvin Williams, who was playing for his last big contract of his career. So best case scenario is that they can duplicate last year's success with new players like Kid Gilchrist, who of course has been on the team, but he's been injured the last few years, or Ramon Sessions and Roy Hibbert added through free agency. Boston got better while Charlotte at best will be the same and at worst got worse. And even if it all works out for the Hornets and they can use the Billy Bean Oakland A's method of plugging in components and maximizing their outputs, they are still they are still what they are. I mean and unlike Indiana, who we previewed here last week and who I deemed the wild card in the Eastern Conference The Hornets don't have the singular player that could take over a series and carry a team, a lesser team to a series win. Charlotte does not have an elite defense. They don't have playoff experience. So whatever advantage is a lesser team that could exploit what the Celtics may not possess themselves, i.e. playoff experience, i.e. one of the top 10 players in the league taking over a series, the Hornets just, they don't have that themselves either. So while that is an organization moving in a good direction and following the correct model for franchise building, for 2016-17, hate to say this, although I will, I don't hate to say this, they should not be a threat to the Celtics, nor are they a factor in the landscape of the league this coming NBA campaign, point blank. And that is a far, far cry from, say... I don't know. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they're certainly a factor. The NBA universe pretty much revolves around them. Okay, maybe the Golden State Warriors, but the NBA Eastern Conference, they are once again overwhelming favorites to represent the conference in the finals, and I'd love to call them the team to beat if they could actually be beat by a Boston or a Toronto or an Indiana because barring a LeBron LeBron James injury, which I guess can happen, They will not face any threat from anyone for LeBron to go back to the NBA Finals for the seventh year in a row. Let that sink in, by the way. Seven straight trips to the Finals. That is... That's insanity. Um, The Cavs, they did very little this offseason. And why should they? They're the champions. They have minimal to zero cap flexibility. They have, I believe, the highest 
payroll in the league last year, paying an abundance of luxury tax. They've still yet to resign J.R. Smith. They were also priced out on Matt Delavadova and Timofey Mozgov, who were some, they were major contributors actually on the Cavs 2015 NBA finalist team. They brought Richard Jefferson back after it looked like he'd retire and also brought in longtime veterans Mike Dunleavy and Chris Birdman Anderson, see if they have anything left. 57 and 25 a season ago, and once again, winners of the NBA Finals in seven games over the Golden State Warriors. And it's time to bring in the man who experienced and lived it all. Cleveland Cavaliers beat reporter for ESPN and great friend of this network, Dave McMenamin. And our interview with Dave is brought to you by Blue Apron. Deliveries right to your doorstep. Fresh, high-quality ingredients, organic vegetables, fats, and meats in the cleanest of states, which taste better and are better for you, as Blue Apron believes that it is imperative for you to know where your food comes from. It is also already pre-portioned, and they give you easy-to-follow instructions as you can cook with and for your family and friends. And it's all for less than $10 per meal, and the bargain gets even better. Go to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed. You'll get your first three meals free with free shipping. There's almost no risk here, and you'll so greatly help our operation here on Celticspeed. So again, blueapron.com slash Celticspeed for three free meals and free shipping on your first order. Dave, welcome in. Happy Labor Day. You must be feel, be uh, feeling pretty fresh from your light workload this summer, huh? <laughs> well, happy Labor Day to you too, Larry. Good to be back. And, uh, you know, it was a, uh, a lengthy season. Obviously, you go to Game 7 of the NBA Finals. You're working till late June. You got parades and the NBA draft and a relatively quiet free agency for the Cavs uh, free agency period this summer. So uh, all things considered, I have had some time to rest. It's been nice. I was I was cur- actually curious, not because I I care about your well being, Dave, but because I would like to think that you being the leading man on the Cavs beat can somehow metaphorically represent the physical stress of the actual players on the team you cover. Like if you're drained, here is late and it's the end of August. I wonder how the champs feel. And I actually read a great piece uh, from you on the eve of the Olympics with an exclusive you had with Finals Hero. Kyrie Irving on ESPN.com, and even he mentioned how he mentioned it to you specifically how he'll rest in training camp and at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I found that a little curious. Uh, certainly, he was at that point. Uh, I would say we did that story, uh, I guess, a month ago or so. Maybe about a month after the NBA Finals, and so he was still probably feeling the mental fatigue of what he just went through and to consider looking ahead to, to the upcoming season of 2016, 2017 at the time of that Q and a, I, I could see him uh, where he is, his head was at saying, well, you know, I could always just rest in training camp. Uh, we'll see if, if that occurs. I haven't been able to, you know, see Tron Lou uh, this summer. Uh, you know, he's been spending time out in Los, Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see if, if that indeed is part of his plan. Uh, to give Kyrie a, a light workload to work, uh, to start the season because obviously he got his body in shape with USA basketball or if they feel like hey listen like we're going to be battling complacency all season long because the natural tendency of a team or, or just a human being to let up a little bit once you accomplish your goal 
And for us to go into the season with, uh, you know, our second best player having that mentality of I'm going to ease into things that could have a trickle down effect on our entire team. Uh, so, so I'm curious. There's the, the physical balance they have to do with Kyrie. Uh, but even more so, I think the mental thing where, you know, you need him to recognize that, yeah, these regular season games do matter. Uh, because we need to start building things the right way to have a chance to repeat as NBA champions. Yeah, NBA training camps and even the early portion of the NBA regular season is certainly not the best time to recuperate for that matter, even if you do go light. And you talk about complacency. That is going to be there with the Cavs this year, no question, because it was there for the Cavs last year, I thought, and that was even before they won a championship. And I actually thought that was one of the biggest benefactors of the Cavs winning the title was the East was weak and that they could coast and really only had to turn it on for just a few weeks at the end of May and June, whereas the Warriors ran the gauntlet. So basically, can I ask you, can the Cavs repeat that philosophy again? I think that, to me, is the biggest question mark for this team going into it. One, I guess maybe the biggest question would be health. Uh, last year, they were, you know, other than the Iman Shumpert injury that occurred right before training camp where he hurt his wrist, um, for the most part, their guys stayed healthy. Uh, and they have an aging roster again this year. Uh, you know, if they re-sign J.R. Smith as, as to be expected, I think eight of their 15 players or 14 players, excuse me, eight of their 14 players, 30 years or older. So, uh, you know, they're going to have to manage those bodies. Um, uh, and, and then if you are managing those bodies working in rest, that can lead to complacency because that's the uh, tacit understanding that, hey, these games don't matter quite as much as uh, they do to other teams because we're only thinking about April through June. So uh, I think there are going to be you know games that they get up for. Obviously, Christmas Day against Golden State, January 16th in Golden State. Uh, things like LeBron facing against Dwayne Wade, LeBron versus Carmelo Anthony on opening night. Uh, but there's going to be those nights where they're going to have to find a reason uh, to want to play. And then last season, you mentioned it, you hit the nail on the head. They, they had those, those moments where, you know, underwhelming performances and LeBron would have to like sound the alarm. And, and, you know, I remember they had a loss early in the season at Detroit and LeBron said, you know, this is unacceptable. You know, there's another team out there in Golden State. They were off to their hot start. He said, they're playing like the hungrier team when we're the team that, lost in the NBA Finals, that should be us. And so he used Golden State as a foil, and, and he used late-game uh, collapses against Milwaukee and Toronto as uh, early in the season as examples of, of why they don't have uh, the requisite mindset. Um, and he would use us in the media as, as a tool to get that message out there, put some pressure on his teammates uh, to make them recognize that, hey, I mean, uh, how many teams get this opportunity? We have the second highest payroll in the history of the league. All you guys can go the rest of your career and, and never have a chance to play with this much talent. And we need to make sure that we are embracing that opportunity day by day. Now that they've won it, it's going to be harder to spread that message because they can see the path that they I took want to last talk about year. That. I, yeah. I, I, and I think we should continue this discussion of LeBron James because he really is the guy that matters. And what you're talking about of him being a real driving force and taking on the leadership mantle as much as really at any point of his career. He is the straw that stirs the drink, to quote Reggie Jackson, the king. <laughs> you're, Dave, you're as close to LeBron James as anyone else in the media. You were the one who revealed you know, who LeBron revealed his secret motivation to, and, and thus you to the rest of the basketball world. So how's he feeling physically? 
and now even mentally. I mean, you talked about all those instances last year of really he was pushing the team. But how is he now feeling mentally with him winning that all-important third championship, finally delivering on his promise to Cleveland, and, of course, validating his decision to go there after a Hall of Famer told him it was the worst decision of his career? Well, mentally, I mean, I've, I've had limited back and forth in this offseason, but but there has been some interaction, and uh, he seems to be in a great place right now. Uh, there's a weight lift off his shoulders. Uh, some people have suggested that, well, okay, now you have Kevin Durant in Golden State, and that's going to drive you nuts. And you know, I, I don't think that's really the case. I think it, it's actually a, a fun challenge. Uh, you, I think, out of the entire basketball world is the term you use. Everyone's probably noticed his uh, use of Instagram video feature, and he's putting up his workouts, early morning workouts. Uh, he has J.R. Smith in his, his home gym with him, uh, you know, climbing this Versa climber, this, this new contraption that he does. And, you know, he looks shredded as ever. He looks lean. He looks like his body can withstand a 82-game grind in year 14 of his, his storied career. Uh, so those are all good things. The question, much like the Kyrie question, is – uh, last year, at the start of the season, uh, actually, I think it was right before they played Miami, LeBron said, I plan on playing all 82 games. And one of the other beat reporters, I think it was either Jason Lloyd or Joe Varden, kind of looked at him like, come on, man. And he's like, no, 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 I'm serious. I know what I just said. Uh, I think he ended up somewhere in the high 70s. Uh, but that was because the team <laughs> encouraged him to sit. Um, I, listen, at this stage in his career, LeBron doesn't really have to do much else in the regular season to prove himself. It's all about how he performs in the postseason. So I, I would not be against a regiment. And I understand how much it means to the game. I understand people pay good money for tickets and all of that. Absolutely. But ends justify the means. Ends justify the means. And, and if you have to sit him out every back-to-back or one leg of every back-to-back, play him 65 games. Uh, give him Christmas him off. <laughs> yeah, give, we'll give him... I think they play. I don't the think 20, your company's going to be too happy with that. Well, he plays the 25th, you know, in Cleveland, and then you can take the 26th off in Detroit. <laughs> There's ways you can manage the back-to-back like that. I feel bad for all the little kids in Detroit who may get a Cavaliers <laughs> game for Christmas as a present and having to deal with that. Uh, but you know, let's do Cavs in the postseason. Outside of complacency and fatigue, what could ha- hamper Cleveland from getting back to the finals, save for a LeBron injury? I mean, an uh, unforeseen trade by one of the also-ran to get a difference maker. You know, I think that Boston Celtics are a difference maker trade away from being a real threat. I think the Detroit Pistons are. Uh, I think uh, the Toronto Raptors are. Toronto Raptors might even be there, you know, because they didn't have Jonas Valanciunas available to them in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Took the Cavs six games. If Jonas is healthy that that series, maybe they upset the Cavs. So those are, I think, are, are the teams that you know come to mind that that could present a, a real challenge to the Cavs in the playoffs. Uh, and you know, that that's a formidable challenge. That that's a realistic challenge. Um, certainly with the assets that Celtics have, we both know that 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 a trade like that would be possible. You never know. You know, everyone's talked about Blake Griffin ad nauseum, even though Doc Rivers has tried to quiet the rumors out in L.A., if that thing goes south early on, well, they're going to have to start making plans for the future. Uh, and that that would be the type of person, when I, when I mentioned difference maker, uh, that would apply. Um, 
but but other than that, I mean, this, this Cavs team is equipped, and certainly they got to re-sign J.R. Smith, which is expected to occur. Uh, this Cavs team is equipped to, you know, make the Eastern Conference Finals for the, or make the the Eastern Conference representative of the NBA, NBA Finals for the third straight year. So I will ask you this, and it was very intelligent of you to talk about the Celtics as some semblance <laughs> of a threat on this show called Celtics Beat, but a little fun. We've been doing this with all of our guests here in the, uh, recently. Cavs-Celtics playoff series starts tomorrow. Cavs in how many games and why? And do so with, of course, the rosters that both teams have right now. I'm actually pretty intrigued at, at the explanation as, as to how many games and why. That's it's, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, we saw two seasons ago, first-round series. It goes four I games. I forgot about that one. <laughs> it, it, it was and that a, was the last time we had you on here. Is that right? I thought I did it once since You, you, then, did, but, you did a pregame okay. show with a, us. A different, pregame different show. show. Different show. Okay, this, I got gotcha. This space. Uh, well, you know, it, that was a close series despite being 4-0, but, but the Cavs, uh, I think, are much better. Um, since that, I, I, th- I don't think it'd be a sweep. It could go five or six games. Uh, you know, I, I want to see how Al Orford uh, fits in with the Celtics. I, I think he is a guy, clearly, he experienced a lot of winning in Atlanta. And seems to be as professional as they come. I want to see, you know, what Jalen Brown does, whether he's going to be able to be a contributor this year or he just happened to be a high draft pick because it wasn't a very good draft this year. Um, you know, they, they make, you know, an addition like a Gerald Green who's shown some flashes since he was. You're digging in. deep now, I think. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to, to, to talk about <laughs> what's changed, you know, what what's changed. I mean. You know, we've talked about this before. Kyrie Irving's gone on record before and said Avery Bradley guards him as tough as any player in the league. So, you know, there's a matchup that's in, you know, makes it a tough series. Jay Crowder, we all know the the troubles, or not necessarily troubles, but certainly the 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 fair fight that he gives on defense end against LeBron James. Uh, uh, and, of course, Brad Stevens is, is a smart enough coach to come up with a game plan as a playoff series unfold so I, listen i think it'd be a hotly contested great great series um but again lebron james doesn't lose in the playoffs too are often. there are there any weaknesses on this Cavs team there is sort of one example where you think about lebron in the playoffs where if you go back to 2009 i don't know if you remember this he was on that a very good cavaliers team certainly wasn't as talented as this Cavs team but they were far and away the favorites against orlando and they went into that series, and they got blitzed beyond the three-point arc. Orlando shot like 50% from three, and they just brutally exposed a weakness on the Cavs and just made threes until they beat the Cavs in the playoffs. Is there anything like that that could happen to this Cavs team? Is there any glaring weakness that maybe not even the Celtics could take advantage, but just say any team, hypothetically? Well, I still think rim protection is an issue for this Cavs team. They haven't addressed it in the offseason. Uh, Tristan Thompson is a adorable center and obviously they've, they've gone to him as their starting center now uh but not the best rim protector uh, he's versatile he, he's he's a great member of that team he's the fourth best player on the Cavs, in my opinion but uh he doesn't provide that they lost team of they don't you know he's not giving it to them anymore uh they don't have sasha cowan uh you know some people think that channing fry could be that answer as the stretch five also giving them rim protection off the bench but you know, that's asking a lot of Channing at this stage of his career. 
uh, I think that's a weakness. Uh, and in the playoffs, again, you can use LeBron James at the five. You have options uh, in a concentrated series to make up for it. But over the course of regular season, I think that could could be something that that bites them a little bit uh, in terms of things like you know perimeter defense. When they're engaged, they're locked in. They they should be just fine. But you know they're again another weakness. Backup point guard. They have they don't have one right now. Uh, Mo Williams essentially didn't play for the last three quarters of the regular season last year. After Kyrie came hurt and he came down with injuries, uh, they got Kay Felder, the most expensive second round draft pick in NBA history, paying two point five million dollars to acquire his rights. He had a great summer league. But again, he's an undersized rookie out of a mid-major. You don't know what's going to happen there. They want to turn Jordan McRae into a backup point guard because he's long and he can defend a little bit. Uh, but Jordan McRae is a guy who scored 61 points in a D-League game last year. So he, that might not be in his makeup as a player to play a backup point. So th- those are two areas. I just in terms of personality, I look to. Uh, they're, they're lacking some rim protection. They're lacking depth of point guard. Certainly, if anything happens to Kyrie Irving, they'd be trouble in the playoff series regardless. Uh, but uh, I think those, you know, those are the areas where they haven't really done a ton to um, address in the offseason because, again, uh, they we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, with that payroll, they are spending so much money they have they don't have any options. They had limit options, yeah. I mean, the only two signings they had were two guys from were the real throwback machine, Mike Dunleavy and Chris Anderson. Probably won't really hurt them until they, of course, get to the finals, likely against Golden State. So how about this to get you out of here? Give me one number, a percentage, once again, save for a LeBron injury, but a percentage on the Cleveland Cavaliers getting back to the NBA Finals. I'm going to go at 95%. Dave McMenamin covering the world champion Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA for ESPN, as stated, provided some unbelievable material on Team USA during the Olympics a few weeks ago. Can follow Dave on Twitter, at Mc10, spell it out, M-C-T-E-N. Dave, like I said, first time you've been on Celtics beat since that riveting Cavs Celtics (laughs) first round series two years ago. So great to get you back on in this space, but already got it circled on my calendar. Celtics at Cavaliers Thursday, November 3rd on national TV. Talk to you then on the pregame show. All right. I look forward to it. Thanks, Larry. I look forward to it, too. A highlight game on the schedule for the Celtics in the first full week. Actually have both Charlotte and Cleveland in that first full week of the NBA season on the schedule. Charlotte being a really annoying Saturday night game. You know how much I hate Saturday night games, especially when we get the show out at 4 a.m. every Sunday morning here on the East Coast. But no excuses. The content is fresh as always. We keep it live. We keep it real. We never cheat. So we are going to have reaction to any game throughout the course of the week, even if they are played on Saturday nights, even if they're played on Saturday nights on the West Coast, we'll get you Celtic Speed, a new episode, as we've always been doing now, almost five years. First thing, Sunday morning, and I mean first thing, on Sunday morning, every week here on CLNS Radio. You know, I actually mentioned the LeBron James injury like a few times, almost wishing for it to happen. Almost. But the hell, man. Remember when the Celtics lost Kevin Garnett when they were the clear favorites to win the East that year? They were a little thin on the bench, but they absolutely would have made it at least back to the finals against the Lakers, especially against that paper Tiger Cavs team. The Celts lost Garnett, 
The Patriots lost Tom Brady in 2008. The Celtics lost Larry Bird in 89, and he was never the same guy when that was the year Reggie Lewis had a breakout season, and they would have been a huge factor in the East that year. But, I mean, it happens. It certainly would change everything in the East if it did because that is a one-man team without him and that being LeBron James. The Cavs have other nice pieces, but LeBron, arguably the best player in the NBA and unarguably the most valuable. The Warriors won a playoff series and some playoff games without Curry. The Cavs, even with Kyrie and I guess Kevin Love, no freaking chance, even in the mediocre East of even winning a playoff series. It's a fringe 40-some win team at best without LeBron. He's the guy. He's the team. And Cleveland's the team. Listen, we can break it down every possible way imaginable and dissect everything about him and everything about that team. We could do it, but we don't have to. The Cavs are the best in the East. They'll be back in the finals pending a LeBron injury. Look how LeBron took a battered Cavs team to the finals in 2015. They lost Kyrie Irving in overtime in game one. Still pushed it to six games with a skeleton roster. They're going to be in the finals. Yes, the conference is slightly improved. The Raptors and Pacers will be strong. In Atlanta's going to be okay. Charlotte's going to be okay. Detroit will be better. But no one will be of any semblance of a threat to Cleveland. I just can't imagine any scenario, even say the Cavs coast... They try to get their legs back after two lengthy seasons the last two years. And guys like Kyrie, he had no offseason whatsoever. And other teams like the Celtics and Raptors, they even get home court over the Cavs. I mean, all the Cavs have got to do is flip the switch, out-talent them, out-LeBron the Raptors, out-LeBron the Celtics over the course of a, of a best-of-seven series. And that's it. It's a depressing way as we get ready here to finish off the show. But hey, always about... Reality, honest journalism, It's definitely should not take away from the season the Celtics should and will have, one in which I and many others are thoroughly looking forward to. Don't let the noise of, oh, hey, they're not title contenders, so don't waste your time. Don't let that have any effect in terms of how you are supposed to enjoy this as entertainment, because it is. It is entertainment, especially if you are a basketball fan, which I assume you are, if you took the time to seek this show out and download it. It's good entertainment. It could be purgatory. It could be, say, like Sacramento. No chance now and forever. But it ain't. Be thankful that for that. Look, looking forward to it. That's why we still do it and listen to a variety of other podcasts as well, particularly those on the CLNS radio airwaves. Celtic Stuff Live, Justin Poulin's summer interview series, next episode releasing tomorrow, Monday, Labor Day, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, no matter what, even the holiday also, Real GM Radio with Danny LaRue. Great, great show this past Thursday with Danny's co-host on the Dunked On Podcast, previewing the Central Division, going up and down the division. Did so with Nate Duncan. That is available on the app, along with Coach Nick's B-Ball Breakdown Podcast, who are also running divisional previews themselves. The Bobcast with Celtics Blogs, Bobby Manning, and yes, Celtics Stuff Live, as mentioned. New episode dropping tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Check it out as we check out of here on episode number 173. Real quick before we go, though, still running our contest. An autograph 8x12 photo of Paul Pierce hitting a game winner against the Denver Nuggets. Signed by, yes, Paul Pierce himself. Enter by simply following at CLNS underscore LHR on Twitter. 
That is our current giveaway. So again, a simple entry. Follow at CLNS underscore LHR. Winner drawn in a couple of weeks. Next giveaway, I'll give a heads up now. Boston Celtics open practice tickets at the TD Garden. Taking place on September 30th. We haven't decided what means we'll use for entry, but safe to say it'll be either by liking Celtics Beat on Facebook, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat, or by giving us a subscription, rating, and a writing a review, excuse me, on iTunes. That sounds like a lot, but it's not. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes, probably one or the other because they're huge, huge helps to us regardless. But we'll probably do this next week, a contest for tickets to this Boston Celtics Open Practice of the TD Guard on September 30th. We'll be giving away those, our way of thanking those who listen, a small way of thanking those who listen. And, of course, support us week after week. Speaking of support, though, time to get to the show credits. Music for this show was provided by Warlock and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter, I'm at CLNS underscore LHR. The show is at Celtics underscore Beat. Like Celtics Beat on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Google plus Celtics Beat on CLNS. Thanks to today's guests. Once again, Stephanie Reddy of Fox Sports Southeast and ESPN's Dave McMenamin. Cannot thank our audience enough for listening and making this show the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast on iTunes. For our sponsors, Blue Apron and American Farmers Network, staff writer Eddie Santiago, graphic designer Taylor Arter, founder of the network Nick Chelsea and myself, the executive producer and host, I am Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLS Radio. Yeah.